everyone, welcome to a new episode of Like A Real Book Club, a podcast from Rebel Minute, where we talk about books and just about everything else. I'm Jorraine. I'm Christina. So today we're doing a review of August Town. Uh, we actually did this whole podcast episode already, but due to technical difficulties, we can't release that episode. And I actually, I actually do mean technical difficulties. The episode is just terrible in editing according to Christina. So we're going to attempt doing this again, and hopefully we do as good of a job as we did the first time. And I probably didn't need to say that because you did not know that another episode <laughs> existed. Uh, but yeah, so we're talking about August Town by Kai Miller. We read this book in May. May. And... I really enjoyed this book and it seemed a lot of people enjoyed it as well because it's to date now officially our biggest book club meeting. We had 78 people who were present throughout the whole thing. A lot more people signed in and then had to sign out. So I'm going to count the people who were there for most of the meeting and that'd be 78 people. So that was really cool. Um, what was the number for Here Comes the Sun? Here Comes the Sun was in the 40s. Actually... Uh, the Bell Hooks book actually was really close to Here Comes mm-hmm. the Sun. Yeah. I remember that book club meeting. I was extremely surprised to see so many people because previously we did not have that many people joining book club. And then that one day, you just see a whole bunch of people show up. Because so. people loved Here Comes the Sun. They really did. Um, the gays really turned up. Really turned up at Pegasus. And like, <laughs> the cafe manager was like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> Like, okay, you're going to have to move outside. <laughs> this is too big for us. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I'm going to do a small summary of August Stone. So August Stone by Kai Miller um, sent us the story of Kaya, who is a six-year-old who got his locks cut off. And what we experience throughout this entire book now is the, what Kai calls Ataclaps, and which every Jamaican calls Ataclaps, which is this series of really unfortunate events that took place as a result of that, um, that event happening. But also what Kai wonderfully does is that he ties several other stories together with this story, um, stories from the past, mostly, and he he does a great job of really tying this idea of injustice and justice especially for a particular group of people of course black poor disenfranchised people and so we get to we get to see the relationship between dispossessed black bodies and the state as well as what justice and injustice can look like so that is basically the summary of Augustone, a very poor summary, but I feel like the book has so much in it. It has so many parts, so many moving parts that you kind of just have to immerse yourself in it and read it to get it. So what were you guys' first impressions of Augustone when you read it? I really liked it. Um, this was my first time reading Akai Milo in its entirety. I have started and kind of abandoned a lot of, well, 
the war the last Warner Woman was the one that I started and didn't finish. Not because it's not it's not any good, but because I just uh, didn't finish it for whatever reason. <laughs> um, but this book was uh, deeply poetic. Um, I remember reading a, a review that said, or maybe somebody said it, and it just stuck. But this the description was that this was a poet's novel, but not in like a negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of how rich the story building is and how very vividly Kai paints pictures of the words that he's saying. Like I could see when he's talking about the, 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 the hill that has a scar on its face, for example. And I love that because as a Jamaican, you know exactly what he's talking about and you know know exactly what that looks like, which is always really great to be able to identify. Um, So I personally really liked it and would recommend it to anybody. I think it's a very, it's a very relevant book now, um, given the context of uh, just the increase in state violence and the increase in policing of uh, black bodies like Christina would have mentioned and the discussions around how and who can navigate certain spaces. So, um, yeah, all of that to say I really liked it. Uh, yeah, so Augustone was my first introduction to Kai Miller as well. I would have heard about Kaimila before, but I think this was the first time that I really gave myself a chance to get into his work, and I thought it was just really so beautiful, and I can absolutely get the idea of it being a poet's novel, mostly because I think Kai writes in the way that Jamaicans tell a story, so a lot of it reads like a story being told to you or reads like you sitting on your veranda with an older person maybe which is of course a scene in the book and hearing them retell a story from their past so it felt a lot like that and he has such an excellent way with describing a scene and describing a character beyond just the physical trait, um, but exploring them and describing them in a way that connects you to who they are and connects you to their story. I really loved experiencing that and experiencing it in the way that Kai writes it. I think I've read everything published by Kai Milo and I love what he does, not just because of the language and it being poetic, which no one can ever deny or take away from him. It's it's amazing that he just has that talent. But I think he also brings a lot of sympathy to all of his characters. So even the characters that you really dislike, you once you spend time writing about them, you develop some level of understanding. And that's something that I really appreciate in Kai's books the ability to create some level of sympathy or even empathy at times with these characters that are very dislikable. So even the teacher at times, I could understand where he was coming from, where Mr. St. Joseph's, thank you, 
even when he decided to butcher Kaya's head, you can understand where he was coming from. You can understand the level of self-hate that drives someone to do that. I think in the hands of a less skilled writer, you would not be able to find sympathy or understanding for Mr. St. Joseph's. He would have just been very plain and simple, this wicked, cruel villain in the book, and you would probably justify what happens to him in the end and say, oh yeah, that's what he deserves. But because you have some understanding of this man's self-hate, you question what it is that we should have done or what it is that we should do with the Mr. St. Joseph's of the world. As I'm saying this, I'm realizing if you haven't read the novel, you may be wondering what the heck did Mr. St. Joseph do? <laughs> um, Christina mentioned it in the beginning. You did? Yeah, I don't think I tied it to Mr. St. Joseph's books. Okay, so in the book itself, Kaya has locks and we are introduced to Kaya coming home and crying because his locks have just been cut off. Shorn. Shorn. <laughs> <laughs> I liked when he said butchered, actually. I know everyone in the book club remembered the shorn thing. It was my butchered. first time learning the word shorn when I read it when it just came out. I remember you mentioning that the last time we recorded. Yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> that's, I don't think you should be ashamed That's what of books it. are for. Exactly. <laughs> like, if you're reading stuff and you're not learning anything, like... What's the point? As you were talking, I was here thinking that it, it makes a lot of sense that Kai spent such a long time, or gave any amount of time, rather, to exploring Mr. St. Joseph's background Mm -hmm. because that wouldn't have been absolutely necessary or well you could see how in another book a writer might not have given us this entire backstory into Mr. St. Joseph's life especially as somebody who is considered to be the antagonist of the story this detailed description of his experiences when he was not necessarily when he was younger, but just his experience growing up in rural Jamaica, his experience with being partnered with a white Jamaican woman. It You see the relevance or the importance of doing that or how critical that was to the entire story because I don't think that Kai is necessarily trying to paint Mr. St. Joseph's as a villain we as readers would see him as the villain because he cut off a pitney locks. And, and he that's... is, but that doesn't mean that villains... <laughs> or that he just... gets discarded. <laughs> like, there is... Or that they just happen, right? Um, we see this experience of Mr. St. Joseph's as somebody who grew up in, I would say, pre-independence Jamaica at the time. He would have been... He would have had a front seat to Orwell unlike us who might not have experienced British rule or direct British rule, I should say, he grew up with that experience. And so he grew up directly being told that his blackness is a problem, a problem, that it's not a thing, that it should not be. And that through your blackness or well, if you are black, there is no way that you can make it in this world. There is no way that you can navigate private or public spaces with any sort of dignity or any sort of comfort within yourself. And so we get these glimpses of him trying his damnness to escape that because he want. you could say that he wanted more for himself. 
he wanted mm-hmm. better. He sees what it means to be black in Jamaica and how that doesn't get you anywhere. And so we see these glimpses of him attempting to remove himself from that blackness. And he did it so well that he ended up not at all, not identifying at all with blackness. So he did not see himself as somebody who was black. He saw himself as or well, maybe he did, but no, he, no, didn't. he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. <laughs> that was that was one of the craziest parts when I was reading because uh, Kai had when when he was exploring Mr. Saint Joseph's, he had said. There's a part when Mr. St. Joseph is looking in a mirror. And mm-hmm. right. you, can you just imagine the cognitive dissonance that you need to have to, over. To, to, think, to, to look in the mirror and see the person that is not being reflected? Mm-hmm. To see somebody who is white when you're not. To see somebody who is just like completely... You, you see a handsome person. You see a tall person. You see a, <laughs> everything. And then that's a, you, you are the exact opposite of that. That's just... That's insane to me. And then you just, it just makes you wonder how many people actually face that every day. The people that you just interact with. And you feel like everything is fine. Whether you know them, whether you don't know them. And it's just... Uh, what what are people thinking? What are going on in people's lives? It's, it's kind of it's, like uh, body dysmorphia. Yes, it uh, is. You you just have no idea what you look like, and then this also no, is our rem- yeah. And then this is also a reminder again of just the the psychological impact of slavery and colonialism mm-hmm. and imperialism and how that. Uh, completely changes or affects your psyche yeah. and your sense of self your sense of identity it strips you of and all so of and like a lot of us assume that wait in the veranda chat did he say that mr st joseph's is square i don't recall him saying that i don't think he said it but it's kind of clear right (laughs) he's queer but um he but there's so much self-hate there there's so much self-hate that uh, when this white woman who also sees an entirely different person um she fetishizes him she sees him i know i don't think she fetishizes him i think she romanticizes i think it was a fetish because she was really in love with the the revolutionary at that time no i don't think it's a fetish it's because he never displayed any of those characteristics but he but that's the okay all right let's just define (laughs) fetish fetish? and i think okay so the romantic google yeah we can do that because i don't know the exact difference but for me i don't think she did it in a way that was uh, i think she okay i think it was selfish because she wanted to be a part uh, of this revolution and this 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 movement that she felt no i think she wanted to be a part of it i think she really wanted to be a part of a jamaica i think she wanted to be the wife of (laughs) someone who was in it and for all the people you're gonna pick mr saint joseph like opposite but she wouldn't know. No, but that's what I'm saying. She, she, Maybe that's why the she has, times. yeah, because she has an image of what the black revolutionary looks like. And I think there was a moment in the book where Kai describes that this sort of small Afro, really dark skin. So she had an idea of who a revolutionary looks like. And he, he might not have been the most handsome, but he fit the bill in a way. And that wet her whistle. 
to the point where Shinjima realized he has the exact opposite in politics. It, yeah. it took, maybe not years, but it took a while it for took, her to recognize that. It wasn't until the cheating scene where she was like, huh, you're not who I thought you were. Like, <laughs> so there are two things in there that I really like. I think Kai did what Toni Morrison took an entire novel to do, and that is to the idea of how trauma can affect black people's image of self so in the bluest eye Toni Morrison has Pecola I believe mm. that was her name yeah where she her way of dealing with the trauma that she experienced was to imagine she had blue eyes or imagine herself to whiteness and in the end it was so freaking creepy because when she looked in the mirror she saw a white girl looking mm. back at her and that was her way of dealing with what's happened because these things, in her mind, don't happen to white girls. And Kai did that in like just a few pages yeah. and did even more because it's like, what does this person now behave like around black people when they believe that they can be removed from black people? Um, mm -hmm. And whereas we didn't see any direct trauma that happened to Mr. St. Joseph's, he is the product of hundreds of years mm -hmm. of colonialism and society telling you that your skin isn't worth much. And one of my favorite lines in the book or one of my favorite thoughts in the book from Mr. St. Joseph was the cheating scene was when um, Mary said, Mary just calls him a stupid black man and he is so in shock not that he's been cheating on but he says to be called stupid was one thing to be called black was quite another he could not accept this callous demotion back into what he imagined he had been exalted out of a demotion God. demotion because he thought now that he had a white partner he yes, would have moved up the social the assimilation was complete or was getting somewhere, mm. was getting much closer to whiteness and this idea of whiteness. He's not even that concerned that his girlfriend, his fiance, because I don't think they got married, no. is cheating on him in bed with someone else. It's that she has called him black. And, and that has just... So that gives you a good idea as to what Mr. St. Joseph's is stepping into as he moves to Kingston and he becomes a teacher. Well, I mean, even how he hangs on to certain labels because when he was um, interacting with the principal of the school in Kingston, he would say, always bring up the fact that he was a deputy vice principal or something like that <laughs> at the <laughs> other school in rural Jamaica. Somewhere in Shalani. Okay, yeah. I don't remember. Um, I mean, look, you always know people who are going to grab for like certain Power. labels. Yeah. yeah. Whenever they're in conversation, then they're, they're going through something and you just need to, I don't know, they need to, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't have any, I don't know how I would deal with a Mr. St. Joseph's other than just trying to be calm. Like what, <laughs> I think what the principal did was fair because she always, well, I mean, it seemed also that he always had some sort of complaint. Exactly. It's funny that you say that because one of the things I really appreciate about Book Club now as a space where we meet and talk about things that talk about things that happen in these imagined worlds was how 
all the Jamaicans had that exact same reaction, myself included, where we all know Mr. St. Joseph, you know Sam going to be complaining about something. You have so much work doing mm-hmm. and you just hope that this man don't do nothing stupid and you just say, yes, sir. Do, do, do. And you, yeah, just, mm-hmm. just keep your head down and you do your work and you hope that this person is harmless. And it's funny to me because everyone who was in book club that wasn't, not even just Jamaican, anyone who wasn't from the Caribbean, they saw that immediately as a red flag that the principal did not immediately dismiss him mm-hmm. or reprimand him for how he was talking about the, t- about the students, about the way that they dress, their demeanor, the, their lack of respect, in his opinion, their lack of respect. They immediately said, no, this man should not be around children. He should not be working around <laughs> Those children. Those are the people who are around children the most. <laughs> exactly. So I, I really appreciated the book club space because for me, as a Jamaican, it's just like, this is just just normal this is how schools work and exactly there were people from the uk it was just like years. no he should have been fired immediately and i was just like i didn't even click like that that <laughs> even clicked to me because we're just normal and it's so bad that we have accepted it this is. as normal so shout out to the diaspora people who are in our book club for us to realize yo this shit is not normal we (laughs) We should not be accepting this colonial schoolgirl things right Mm -hmm. because he was just oh my he was off like he must say no them pitney are coming out of school and them not bid which is probably a lie um how them dress how them look how they're acting um which is probably they're just acting like, like children, children. <laughs> i mean he's teaching what seven and six year olds how are they supposed to act they're gonna talk in class it's that Even colonial idea that they must be disciplined and, they must and be silent yeah. and but it's it's really scary because mr st joseph's like we've said exists in everywhere so many spaces <laughs> that especially children are a part of and those people at Mr. St. Joseph's are in high positions in those places yeah. too mm-hmm. so I'm thinking back to any sort of high school I'm sure I mean I have memories of uh, school principals being I Mr. St. spot checks oh my god yeah that's just a normal thing we like, have spot checks and in our normal. spot checks we had to actually lift, lift up, up our tunic to, to show, show that, that we, we were wearing a slip or um, Marino, or yeah, showing that we were wearing a Marino. It's crazy. I don't understand that. I'm sorry. So I went to school in a much colder part of Jamaica than y'all did in Kingston. Mm-hmm. Why are you dressed like that? In a sleep. You're dressing as if you have to dress like a young lady. Yeah, but it's hot. Young in ladies don't let their undergarments show. But you're wearing clothes, so obviously it's not going to show. No, but our tunic was like really sheer, I guess. It so was not. It wasn't sheer enough where even the you could see underwear. What don't they don't know. like is it the like or not the panty line. So like when you open your legs and it's bright outside, so they shorts. don't want to see underneath. Oh, like yeah. they don't want to see the. So change the material. So oh, no, shiny. No, the problem is not the school. The problem is the student. So we have to take on the burden of finding extra steps in order to not show certain things. Where you Change the color of the uniform if that's That iconic uniform, Jerrine. How would they that's spot a homeless girl? Jerrine, no. The institution so will not be embarrassed by so non-slip wearing students. Like, it is so weird to me whenever I saw pictures of high schoolers in Kingston, like in the glean and stuff like that. I'm like, 
Why is the uniform so long? Kingston is so hot. Why are these people dressed like this? I remember, do you guys remember? This was several years now when there was, uh, I think, many, I don't remember, but it's all girls' schools. And they had this policy where the skirt had to literally be at the ankle. What? No. Holy childhood. And a holy childhood. But there were a few more schools. Probably immaculate too. Those no. I've never seen nuns. those pictures in the Glee, no. Because I remember... Oh, yes. There was a time. There was a time when it there was, was a widespread... Yes. I'm saying the skirts. Mm-hmm. And I saw they were like at least three like, inches longer because there I was some... Like, why are you sweeping halfway through, though? <laughs> what? <laughs> You must say the holy childhood girl. Yes. Yeah, and, 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 and what what is that what is that doing besides wasting material? What is that doing? We talk it's about- teaching shame to young students, especially young girls, because you are the problem. If something happens to you, mm-hmm. it's it's about it's rape culture, but uh, it's institutionalized rape culture where you have a girl who. I mean, nobody's not supposed to be looking at her. The uniform, fucking school girl. Yes. The uniform. No big man, no big man not supposed to be looking at her and having no, no, you know, romantic no sort of sexual thoughts. conversation with her. But no, that's happening. And the onus is on the girl to make sure that something don't happen to her when them don't know that. I mean, I don't understand. I don't, I don't think there's any thinking that goes into the policy because people are still going to... That that's not gonna long skirts are not gonna stop people from trying to engage in certain activities if that's what they want to do, you mm-hmm. know. So it just uh, it's it, just such a maybe we should try the trendy thing of saying it's it's so not sustainable fashion wise. <laughs> we should find ways. Maybe to ensure they're that. I don't know because mm-hmm. it just never like oh, I. But then you can't even use that because obviously common sense does not exist in this arena. Common yeah, sense is illogical. not when it comes to dealing with because um, really it's policing. Mm-hmm. All of this is some That's level exactly of policing. It's policing in the way that we normally think about police with the force, but it's also just policing bodies. It's policing yeah. presentation. It's policing expression, and it's policing the victims yep. of these issues that we claim that we want to address. And then even now thinking about hair now, connecting it to Kaya, when there was a particular way that we had to do our hair to go to school, or well, there were conditions about how your hair can be combed. So you can mm-hmm. only wear black accessories in your hair um for most most jamaican schools i think you can't wear braids Mm -mm. um which is something that for a lot of natural hair people it has become sort of essential for us it makes sense (laughs) it's very convenient especially when you have to get up early in the morning to get ready to go to school all of that there are so many about that there are so many things and then for non-black students, the same rules just don't, don't apply. apply. And we see that a lot here in Jamaica where there are stipulations for, for example, for boys, if you have Afro hair, for it, to be it low, has to be a particular one length. Or some shit but like that. Boys will t- those same boys will tell you that, well, for a lot of non-black students who come to this school, they can have shoulder who are length boys, hair. they can have shoulder-length hair, they can catch up them hair, they can do all sorts of things with their hair. And we come back again to ask the question, what is the rule? What is the, the reasoning? What is the reasoning? <laughs> the reasoning behind <laughs> these rules and why are they only applicable to one set of students and not another? But then when and you they said that up, they're applicable to 
is the majority. So it just don't make any sense. Like either. the majority of your students have to. Ninety nine percent of your population policed by this rule is and black, then, and really? you're gonna have uh, the one percent to just do whatever they want to do. I mean, it reflects society. That's what school is, so it's Doesn't fine. It, Davey had tweeted, if you guys don't know, you should be following Lest We Forget. And the Checkmate Podcast. Checkmate Podcast, Tenementia, shout out to all of them. Davey, who is our unofficial historian Histo- of the generation. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know yet. Um, <laughs> she had tweeted about the hair policy and the reasons why Afros were banned. It was directly linked to them not wanting boys to lock their hair. So you, you couldn't mm. ban locks in school. So the next thing was to say you're going to ban Afros at a certain, at a certain length. length. Because that would be the first step for you to, to <laughs> lock your hair. hair. Interesting, I didn't it's know like that. a preemptive rule. Yeah, so it's we don't want more of these people with locks. Mm-hmm. So if you don't already have it, you can't start growing it while you're here. It, it's so interesting to me how much institutions are scared of any expression that links back to blackness. And particularly institutions that today aren't policed by whiteness. Mm-hmm. It is black people who are now policing other black people because these, yo, colonialism is so strong. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like we put up this rule and the rule works so well that now they're enforcing mean? the we're rule on themselves. Yeah. Like we, they have left, they've gone, and yet the institutions that they build continue to police mm-hmm. us. They're going to uphold the remnants of uh, colonialism. It's not even a remnant. It's, it's there. Exactly. Uh, it's it's the, the exact exact thing. thing. Um, and it's middle-class Jamaicans who are responsible for upholding a lot of these rules. Mm-hmm. I don't see this level of direct policing of blackness in upper-class spaces, which is very interesting to me. It tends to be people who are trying to assimilate to upper classes and trying to find their way to the upper class and largely middle class people that enforce these rules heavily. Jorian, that reminds me, or I'm thinking as you're saying this, uh, black people, when they get to those spaces, if they get to those spaces, let's say they're an exceptional black person, like a supermodel <laughs> or whatever it is, or Usain Bolt or whatever, they're glorified for just being black like they can just be their blackest self and people white people people in those spaces lick it up and it's just but then it's other black people who made it to those spaces that police them because then you have um i hate that i'm about to say this you have sean paul's wife whose name i cannot remember jody jody jinx jody jinx who assimilated to mm-hmm. these spaces who has some if you look closely you can see there is some blackness there mm-hmm. who turns around and police you say bold blackness but, but, but i mean it's different for her i think her thinking is that when you look on me you can't immediately tell that i'm black so i need to so protect this space yes. from people yes. who are obviously black yes <laughs> yes and, and that's where that's where race comes in that's why race is such a strict uh, and a rigid system because those are when you look on somebody you can immediately tell based on race their worth based on if they should be acceptable in certain spaces if they're worthy enough to be in certain spaces and i mean we we all know that that's fucked up and that do that don't make any sense and you need to really check yourself if this is what you believe but uh, this is how you uphold 
your own value mm-hmm. by othering yourself from everybody else and protect the spaces mm-hmm. that yeah. you think other people don't deserve to yeah have, right even though they can are really important yeah because you're saying both i think he's a billionaire now Maybe with that new that? that new ad, you saying me fast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that so, that so, might so tip cheesy. him over in, tip him over in the billionaire club. It's cheesy, but, but I it's... think he is. Um, <laughs> but the point is that he is someone who can and has afforded to move into a lot of different upper spaces. class spaces mm-hmm. that many Jamaicans can only dream of. Mm-hmm. But these spaces even though he is ex- <laughs> exceptional <laughs> Top of his field, even after retiring, no one has come close to him. Yeah. And his he's wealth is magnificent, yet he's still not acceptable in those spaces mm-hmm. and people feel the need to protect these spaces from him because he doesn't fit mm-hmm. what we think someone in those spaces should look like or should act like. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm recalling that story with Jinx and Usain Bolt, it was almost as if there was an expectance that his behavior would change now oh, yeah. that he's moved into a different kind of class. You need to be like us. Yeah, you need to be different now. You need to change your behavior. You need to change the way you engage certain things. You cannot come into these spaces with your same old dote bugoyaga behavior. You oh God, cannot do long this. time I don't hear that phrase. Bugoyaga. bugoyaga. And, um... It's the same kind of thing with Kaya now, where Mr. St. Joseph's, because Kaya is a light-skinned... Yeah, he is mixed race. Um, mixed race. Yeah, Kaya said in the veranda chat... You, oh my gosh. <laughs> in the veranda chat that he was thinking of someone that looked like Bob Marley mm-hmm. when he was thinking mm-hmm. of Kaya. Right, and so you have somebody like him now, who a Mr. St. Joseph's would look at him and say, you are... You have the package you already. You got it. But you're you're so you're messing up your future because you are coming. Where the hell you come? Exactly. With this dirty lock on your head. When you were blessed with this skin? Yeah. I am. And hair that actually curls? What? And you're By like, itself? You're <laughs> lock it? Like he was so he was he so was, offended. He was yeah. a, he's like, how dare you? Jealous. Taint jealousy. Yes. That is the I word. I definitely think that there is jealousy there. It's like, how do you taint? How dare you taint this gift that was afforded to you? Like you're not even enough to try to get it. You got it, and here you are tainting it as a six-year-old. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm mortified by the fact that you're doing this because so many people want this. So many people strive. To I this. want this. <laughs> I want this. <laughs> imagine projecting all of that on, on a, a child like on all the scenes that he talks or he's in it i'm imagining like the sweetest child who is just just love run up and down and so... he just seems so innocent yeah. and confused about what's happening so and he's what? just like like oh. this is like this was his first introduction to the to tr- the trauma mm. that this world can really give inflict black people and inflict mm. yeah on black people because I mean, that boy was minding his business, his little mixed business, but no, <laughs> this, this dirty heart teacher won't come shorn off the, ma- the man. Like, I just, I'm so, Kayo, Kayo, the Kayos of the world, we got you, man. We see you and you're, boy, I don't know. And but. I think 
now that I'm thinking about it again, as you mentioned, experiencing that kind of trauma, it's a reminder of how young black children, how by virtue of their blackness, they already enter into a space of trauma. Mm -hmm. Kaya is born in Augustown and in Jamaica, so that's already being born into trauma. But then you have this additional experience of because of the way that you express yourself, which is very much um, identified with blackness or with Jamaican blackness, I should say, you now get this additional form of trauma, which he doesn't understand at his young age. He knows it's something bad, or at least he knew it was something bad, because he was crying for a bit, and then there was a moment where he wasn't crying. But then he was crying again, because, of course, you're violated, and this was weird, and I'm young, and I feel uncomfortable, and I don't know what's happening, but this adult did something to me, and I don't know how to process it. And you can just imagine him then having to grow up... uh, exhibiting certain behaviors or just not knowing how to navigate the world because of this trauma because and then he had the additional trauma of losing his parent and so this it's just again this other reminder of how black children don't get to they don't always get to experience the innocence and carefreeness of being a child of just existing and having fun and learning and exploring and having your curiosity explored even more you don't necessarily get that you don't necessarily get to sustain that you now have to be hyper vigilant or hyper aware of your existence and how to navigate certain spaces and it's just so fucking sad I want to shift the conversation a little bit and talk about Bedwood because he's one of the main characters in mm. this novel and like it it's essentially it about him and about his influence on Augustown and Jamaica really and how disruptive he was as a, a as a character in that time period. Um I would have learned about him in school not in any depth but definitely would have heard about him and this madman yeah yeah that's usually the the conversation around him and how him feels him could have fly and him was able to influence people and whatever but i was rereading some pages yesterday and uh, kai was describing Bedwood before he became Bedwood mm-hmm. and how he was basically a pretty unremarkable man. Um, Some regular working class man. Yeah. But also, also he terrible was terrible as a human being. Yeah, sometimes. I was just supposed to say that. <laughs> Not sometimes. Apparently he oh, was terrible all the time. <laughs> womanizing. He did have how much picnic and never mind him and him run away, gone go foreign and, and come back someone. and Yes, his wife. Is that where he his went wife. To- oh. And yeah, he raped someone, and it's interesting to me that we don't talk about the sexual violence with a lot of our leaders generally. Yeah. So yeah. even the ones that we dismiss or the ones that we regard, it's we we kind of tend to just gloss, gloss over, over that. So words. I really appreciated that Kai wrote that into the book itself mm-hmm. because it did. It Happened was something that would happen in yeah. life. So yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, Christianity likes to paint uh, the picture of once you have, you're born again, then that old year old self is no Gone. more. But uh, that's not the reality of the situation. You don't just put a band-aid on. Exactly. It's not accountable at all. Because uh, the person... Okay, so Bedward now is known as this uh, this uh, um, leader, this spiritual leader. In some spaces. In some spaces. But, uh, I mean, he, he must have been really... People who knew him intimately, like his, uh, his children or his family, his girlfriends too... Um, must have been, I mean, just to have that, uh, again, that dissonance between this person who people are revering now and then transitioning into being a preacher's wife. I don't remember her name. Um, you remember? So when when she saw him floating, for example, and she had to be the person to kind of like start building up some sort of... Uh, something. Following? Yeah, well, maybe not following, but just like a... She was Betty's building brand. something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, manager. yes, yes. Uh, his PR his person. Strategies. Yes, uh, basically his PR person. And uh, just to, to go to go to that from being in a almost abusive relationship with somebody, it's, uh, that's challenging and that's really burdensome. On and that's the experience of so, so many, many women. So many the man just gets women. up and he has some sort of gift or some sort of calling and you just have to follow him through. Mm-hmm. When and you also just have to bury your trauma. Uh, the idea is that this person is your husband or your common-law husband or just your long-term partner. And so what happens within the confine of that intimate relationship is allowed. It's not something to be challenged. It's just a part of how you experience that particular relationship. Yeah. But also you do it for the cause. So you have to abandon yeah, you have to abandon all your Especially as a as a as a Christian leader. You have to do your part. You have to be the helpmate. You have to be supportive. You have to abandon your your personal concerns, your personal issues, because, no, this is bigger than you. Yeah, and uh, I think that's really unfair. And when we talk about justice, uh, yeah, justice should be for everybody. Like, Bedward's wife and people who Bedward would have wronged in his past life, they deserve justice too. Like, what kind of... Uh, I don't understand... Uh, <laughs> How does he atone for those sins? He doesn't need to because no one is asking him to. Mm. No one... Well, the people who started knowing him as Alexander Bedward, as this prophet, as this man of God, I don't know your past. And even if I did know your past, you know something completely different. (laughs) And you are now somebody who can speak to my needs. You're now somebody who can speak to a core part of me that needs... Uh, need someone to tell me that I'm capable and that I have the ability to do a thing. Because around that time, people, the people in Augustown, according to the book, they were desperate for that. They were yeah. desperate for somebody to see them as human beings, see them as people of dignity and worth and possibility. And then here comes this person who is telling me that this is possible or showing me that it's possible through his own actions of being able to fly. I just don't understand how or how Bedward was 
selected basically because uh, by god yes the <laughs> yes i just don't get it because uh, uh, kai talks about how he was inflicted by this illness that would just have him vomiting blood all the time and then he went away and then it left him and then he came back and the illness came back and then it was just following him for years he was, he being was just Oh, okay. I don't really know details or like biblical stories, but maybe it's like a job thing. He was being tested. I don't get it. I just don't understand. Like, you mess up this person's life, him health is shit, and all of a sudden he's just... And then, I mean, oh. this was there was a lot of build-up from before because there was somebody else who had prophesied that somebody else is coming. This I don't remember. It the missionary. like a pagan, Ashley. <laughs> well, if I'm a pagan, I just say no because I I don't I don't get it. I don't understand the selection process. Mm-hmm. I don't the understand. Same way you don't understand the selection for any other prophet for any other religion. It's just what you believe. It's just which which. It's always interesting to me where we draw the line between. I don't understand your religion, but I'm going to respect it. Versus this is a cult. What mm-hmm. the heck? And all of those weird lines that we draw between mm-hmm. what religion is. You can thank sociology. Because for me, they're all the same. But I get to it's say this as someone numbers. who stays on the outside looking in. It looks the same. But if you're it's... inside and you're looking at something else, it might be like, okay, that is strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Bedouinism not... was definitely considered a cult. The class distinction between you could stay in your Catholic church and you decided that these were the rituals that were okay. You're going to put ash on your communion. face. You're going to do the communion, drink the water and all of and that. Get baptized and... in your church. That's fine. Get baptized in the river. That's not fine. And it was all of these demarcations that whether or not we want to admit it was drawn based on class, mm-hmm. based on race based on what we thought was worthy enough to be considered a religion. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's just, yo, do you believe this guy is a prophet? Why? Why do you believe that person in that book that you're reading was a prophet, but mm-hmm. not that guy who is doing more or less the same thing? Mm-hmm. And who is actually in front of you. Yeah. Versus uh, a book that was written how many years ago by God knows who, you don't know who, and interpreted and translated in so many different languages and so many different ways. Like, you never sit down and realize there are a shit ton of interpretations of the Bible. And there are lots of political interpretations of mm-hmm. it and political reasons for it. I mean, the King James Version is, is a political, political reason. <laughs> There's a political reason behind why it is. One of my is. favorite parts about the whole Bedward story in the Kaimla thing that just felt so Jamaican to me. <laughs> was the whole bottled water thing mm-hmm. where a lot of people were being healed and so the government Governor sent General. someone Let's to go test, test it this yeah. out. and then they're like oh see it's not magic <laughs> there are actual healing properties in there but and then, how would he have and known? everybody was like oh this is why we know bedward is real because he needs to be a scientist he knew it he intrinsically he just knew that this water was healing water and Mm -hmm. the government had to use scientists and do tests but bedward just knew and i was like that is the most jamaican thing i love it i love it It so much but i'm glad that you brought up bedward's past though ashley because i'm now also thinking it brought me to thinking about um 
the several pastors here in Jamaica who have been um, accused of sexual misconduct and they and how their churches and their congregants protect them protect them and stand firmly behind them I'm, rem I'm rem remembering 2015 2016 with that Moravian pastor and how it wasn't until years later I think that the church issued a kind of apology really I didn't see that if I remember correctly it might have been 2019 or maybe wow. I'm remembering incorrectly but for the entire period that he was accused and charged they were strongly behind him they were strongly for their pastor and it really speaks to this unwavering belief that they had and now I'm thinking back to the people in Augustown in the Augustown book and how their belief in Bedward was so unwavering and so grounded that it became the thing that made him fly. If you remember that scene where on the day when he was actually supposed to fly and he was in the tree and while he, he was floating up a bit but not going very far mm -hmm. and then the, when the governor general sent in the troops or soldiers at that point he started to sink a lot and it wasn't until Miss Gilzee and I don't remember what her name what her first name was but when Miss Gilzine started to sing yeah. and when the the crowd started to reignite their their belief in him because they had started to stop believe because the state came and of course where the state imposes themselves it creates a lot of fear and tension and, and so no and doubt uh, in yourself and doubt in Mr. Bedwood and then when they started singing and started coming together again that was a thing that sort of made him not sort of the thing that made him float again and uh, I'm thinking now of power and how power works especially for people like pastors who are able to get away with things or not get away but they're able to do and say very harmful things and very very violent things to people but they have an entire source of what would you call that energy they have an entire energy source an entire group of people who are able to they keep them lifted active. not even <laughs> just active but just keep them lifted keep them grounded in their power keep them something yeah this is such a dark interpretation of it and i love it because it i i love that it can go either way in terms of it being mm. a source of the community can be there to uplift you to do miraculous things mm -hmm. and once you have that community support you can do anything but it also means you can do anything yeah. at all um so i appreciate that it's... and it, it kind of brings me to the question that's still been on my mind throughout august town about accountability and what does it look like for us to hold people accountable outside of a judicial system um is it possible for us to hold people accountable outside of a judicial system what does that look like when the state's idea of justice is very punitive, carceral, mm -hmm. and does a lot of a lot more harm than good from what we've seen? Or I don't know if it's more harm than good, but it definitely does a lot of harm 
to communities like Augustone, mm -hmm. what are the alternative ideas we have around justice? So you brought up Bedward, who was was sent to Bellevue mm -hmm. Asylum as a form of punishing him for the influence that he had over people. And, and his audacity. Treated as someone who was insane, and that in itself helped to take away any credibility, any momentum that he was building with the people in Augustone. So that is one example of how the state decides to hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. But also, how, how could... How do you hold Bedward accountable for the violence that he did in his private life? Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? You don't have to have the answers. What does that look <laughs> like if you don't have state intervention? What does that mean? And what if they just say, well, that was the old me. I'm now born again. Like, is that enough for mm -hmm. a community? When does a community decide that, okay, Bedward, we know that you did something really horrible and the person... We, we believe that this person who says that they've forgiven you has actually forgiven you and you're not just brainwashed into thinking that. Mm -hmm. And then also to Mr. St. Joseph's, how do you find justice? How do you find accountability for someone like Mr. St. Joseph's? And does that accountability only lie in a state system mm -hmm. where you can't even do anything? Are you charge him with assault? Yeah, you could charge Mr. St. Joseph with assault mm -hmm. in Kyle. Or you go down there and deal with him yourself, but that's not that's not <laughs> <laughs> which is what Kaya's mother did go do or plan to do. I think I think as a people we don't have the answer. We don't know I don't know how many I don't think we have any very good examples of actual conflict resolution where both parties involved or people involved feel like they are satisfied with the outcome. And that's something that we, as uh, the years go by, as, as we start to think about reimagining what uh, uh, the police system can look like and conversations around defunding the police. Uh, Which isn't happen happening here. Yeah, it's not happening actually, locally. But uh, just We love police here. <laughs> we not we at Rebel Women Lit, but... Uh, <laughs> Hashtag force for good. <laughs> You saw the, this so video bad. on Twitter when you had the policemen with them AK-47 playing, playing football. football. I'm like, that don't make any... Like, how is that supposed to... And then someone was like, how you have the gun... They're like, if you put on the gun, then them teeth it. I'm like, you <laughs> are right. <laughs> but also... Do you see? What the heck? <laughs> like, the problem. I'm sure this video could have gone another way where y'all are shooting these kids. Yeah, so, exactly. Whether accidentally or not. Or are you planting these guns on these on children? Them, which is these a regular are all thing. things that we Very hear possible. about all the time, but we've normalized the idea. Personally, I have no problem with guns as a person, and I know that people will have offense with that, whatever we can have a discussion. Mm -hmm. But to have a state <laughs> that tells people that this is normal, it is completely okay for the police to be playing mm -hmm. around children at the same breath we... They could oh, kill that exact child kids. in a couple of years. And the same people who are liking and sharing those videos will be the same one who are saying, yeah, man, because a pure gunman lived there and blah, mm -hmm. blah, 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 if it is that the police had decided to just kill one of them. Mm -hmm. There's no accountability in that. There's no accountability in the state, even though we think to some level we should be controlling what the police does it, we just don't and we take whatever they say as gospel mm -hmm. because they 
they protect us the interests of... and by saying us i mean people who are in my class people who are middle class people who mm -hmm. look like me who talk like me for the most part the police protects people who are like me until they decide that they don't want to but we are okay with them oppressing other people because we don't need to know the details as to where they get their power from mm -hmm. or what they are doing because they're doing it supposedly in our interest it, it's okay. something interesting when the when the protests were happening in the united states last year last year summer around the death of george floyd it of course filtered across the world and jamaica was no exception and i remember I don't know what had brought it up, but, you know, people were saying something like defund the police couldn't work here in Jamaica. But the reason they said that is because, well, police are already underpaid. Why would you want to take more money from them? Which I found very interesting because what it did was it missed the point of this entire idea around defund the police, which is we need to think about other Community. ways of... Conflict resolution in our communities, other ways of holding people yeah. accountable, and I just don't think that we have allowed ourselves. We here in Jamaica have really allowed ourselves to imagine what our communities can look like yeah. without police. I don't know if we trust community members to be able to handle situations like that by themselves and how can you when you have so many communities across the island that are under resourced and that are just uh, neglected neglected i mean with the recent rains that just happened we barely missed uh, um hurricane or tropical storm elsa and uh, literally we got the outer bands of this uh, mm -hmm. really bad storm according to international news and uh, there's so many places out at Bull Bay and a everywhere that were displaced and isolated. The entire from... place flood out, bridge wash away, house wash away, and we literally got zero rain. I mean, I mean, Not I'm being zero. hyperbolic, <laughs> but uh, no rain compared to what uh, could have happened. It was not even a category anything hurricane. Completely. And the amount of flooding that happened on our major roads and in communities. When you have that happening, how do you even begin to think about what your space or what your world can look like without the systems that have already been set up for you? You can't. You only think about survival. And that's why police in certain places or in a country like Jamaica will always be relevant because they uphold the system that we have, we have made up. And it's sad and well not only it's not sad it's depressing and um we i don't know i don't know what we need i don't know what needs to happen i well as jerrine said we don't have the answers and we might not have the answers for a little while but it it's worth thinking about survivors of say sexual trauma and i think about what support for them looks like outside of the state because how we understand our laws and our court system it's not how they're designed they're not designed to one to protect people who are harmed they're designed to dole out punishment 
for people who are harmers and they're not designed to necessarily rehabilitate or to curb or change behavior that's not what any of our laws do and if and we honestly can't really depend on our legislative bodies to transform the law in that way because one <laughs> to get any sort of a bill passed to become a law in jamaica is a tedious task and so it makes it even more urgent it makes it even more necessary for us to think about and when we think about communities we don't necessarily even have to just think about like physical environments or physical spaces think about the people who you're in community with the people who you consider to be your friends or people who are valuable to you who you engage in daily how can we start there to think about systems of accountability frameworks of um not forgiveness but like how can we how can we discuss harm like real harm and how can we discuss it in a way that uh, sees us not discarding people and i know that that's extremely difficult for a lot of us to think about i'm not saying i'm even there yet um but if again if we're thinking about as somebody like a mr saint joseph's who is a product of colonialism a product of of deep anti-blackness within a country if we know we know all of the reasons behind why someone like him would become how he became how do we address that how do we ensure that the other people who are like him because there are many like him how do we ensure that the people who are like him that we can not have any more and how can we ensure that these people don't result in or well that their actions don't result in another Kaya or in another in another Gina because what happened to Kaya is what became Gina's fate. So how do we how do we curb that? How do we prevent those things from happening? How do we do that within ourselves? Because we also have to accept that the state does things within its own interests it's not necessarily thinking about you as a dispossessed person as a marginalized person it's not necessarily thinking about how it can make your life any better as ashley said we saw the one bag of flooding that happened um over the weekend and then i saw a cartoon from clovis that made me so exhausted because it, it's a it's a cartoon of a man in like him house and him house flood out and you see a bunch of um like litter in other water and it's like lord jesus look how my house flood out because of my own doing and i'm like <laughs> well I the mean, government's machine is so good like it's made poor people know that's <laughs> like government machine because again it feels like we impose these things on ourselves mm -hmm. so Yes, there are people that little in Jamaica and little their surroundings. We're not going to pretend Truly. that that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But we're also not going to pretend that natural disasters are something you can control. So if a landslide happens, it's not because someone... Not because of something where you do. <laughs> also, and in many communities, there's not a proper garbage disposal. Yeah. Yeah. So like, people aren't going to litter because... Garbage trucks are coming like once a month. So, <laughs> Listen. yeah, we can hold 
multiple truths yeah. at once. We don't need to blame. Like, I'm just like, why would you person. do that? But to honest, I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand whosoever is drawing that, that person's mentality. I don't and why they always get the green light every single time? Because I, it's provocative. It's editorial and people talk about it's it. It's provocative. People are, people are always having discussions about what Media companies is. don't sell the news. They sell engagement, mm-hmm. which is why... Every single time the Glina tweets something stupid, mm-hmm. they don't care. They're getting great. It doesn't have to be true. It just needs to, no one can sue me for this, and people are going to engage in it. Because if yep. they did do the news, it would have much more boring news. It wouldn't be and we'd have nicer news. We would <laughs> actually have actually balanced news. It wouldn't mm-hmm. just be these are the horrible things that happened today in chronological order. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's. Maybe maybe that's a part of our accountability um, in terms of, uh, because you just said the whole engagement thing. You engage in, it, just, it reminded me of when people say there's no such thing as bad press because people are talking about you anyway. Mm-hmm. Maybe if we just ignored people and ignored systems, then they would, <laughs> that's how we hold them accountable because they're losing something. Mm-hmm. Make it less profitable. Yeah. And until that happens, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know, it's a crazy world. <laughs> but I want to go back to Mr. St. Joseph's wife, Alicovit, mm-hmm. because. Mary. Mary That's was her name? name. Yeah. Okay. Of course, it's Mary. I didn't remember. I don't remember I don't any think of these. were creative. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, here's a boring <laughs> name. Um, but I'm still. I don't know why I'm batting for her in this weird way, but uh, I, I still feel like uh, she wasn't fetishizing. Oh, I found a thing about fetish fetishization. One hour later. <laughs> no, I had it. I had it. I had and then it. we moved on and in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I feel like the way that she was describing um, her growing up growing up in a time in jamaica in the 70s where there's all of this like pro pro black uh, um ideology and movement and it seemed to be a deeply intoxicating time for so many people i think it was a time where people were genuinely free and curious about the exploration of their own blackness um but I think now that we're talking about it, maybe it could borderline fetish because it's the ver- the first black Hold person on, that she saw definition. and connected with. Fetishization Fetish. can be thought of as the act of making someone an object of sexual desire based on some aspect of their identity. But I don't think okay, so yeah, I, don't I don't think, think she came. I don't think her her attraction to him was sexual at the beginning or at the end. Oh, <laughs> in the middle. I just she was sexually attracted to what I could think. Be. What? Yeah, well, not necessarily. Mm. Yeah, he he looked like what she saw revolutionaries to look like, and yeah, that is something that she's fetish. attracted to. I don't know. I can't not think of it. As I think it's just a, romanticized. I think it's just a trendy attraction. I don't know. It was and the way was... the way that Kai described it was. That whole that whole chapter to me was just like I don't understand it because <laughs> it was just so messy, but in a in the best way possible. <laughs> so here's one thing I don't like about Kai Miller books. Um, 
Kai cannot write sex. It is always <laughs> so awkward, even when I don't think it is meant to be awkward. And I think he knows because Kai Miller is so descriptive in everything he does, everything he writes about, he goes on. And it's very vivid, very clear. Until he has to write a sex scene, then it's like one sentence. And then like, he moves yeah, it on. Happened. It happened. <laughs> this happened. And That's which enough. is fine when it's like awkward. But then at times when it's not supposed to be awkward, I'm just like, please don't do this again. <laughs> do you know if it's That's intentional just... for him to be awkward with the sex? Oh, Personally, I find sex very awkward. So, But I don't think, like, I can get when his characters are mm-hmm. awkward about the sex. But if about you sex, as the writer, like, like, all the time in all your books, it's just kind of like, I can tell this scene needed editing maybe you should recommend some, work some romance writers to him I, I don't think so because he reads Leonie Ross and Leonie Ross she writes sex mm. very well so I don't know so that's like one thing something that and out of all the things I don't know if I don't know if it has anything to do with the writer I don't know mm-hmm. I'm not saying any of that I'm just saying if there was one thing I don't like about Kaimala it's books, that it's that because every time I get to a sex scene I'm just like Let's move on, please. Cause you and this is not this is not it. This is this is Kai, if you're listening to this, just don't <laughs> Why? Why are you listening to this? What is wrong with you? Just you know, step your sex game up a bit. If you I intend don't. to write more about sex. Yeah, I, I don't know. Or because he writes the awkward sex good, because you feel awkward when you're reading it. I mean, like, but then again, other things scene, it's just like with what's his face and what's his face? With the Rasta man, the Rasta man, Moody and Clarky, is that Clarky right? and Clarkie. yeah, yeah, yeah. that was sufficiently awkward. Yeah, but it so, was also, but it was also like I, I get it. Like so that awkward, scene, I like because it's he's intimate. It's so much of what it's not said mm-hmm. about the relationship, about the relationship, about queer relationships generally in Jamaica mm-hmm. where you're just like I don't know if that happened mm-hmm. or not and we're not going to talk about it because we obviously can't talk about it mm-hmm. so I'm not saying that that wasn't bad it was awkward again I think he just writes different brands of awkward sex yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like because this wasn't awkward. a bad awkward it was like this an was intimate a, awkward yeah it's like an, oh we feel something but we don't know how to express it is this a way that we should express this right, maybe not <laughs> so it's like an intimate awkward and it was awkward with the age difference it was awkward with the gender mm-hmm. it was awkward with just the what was happening on the outside mm-hmm. with society so that's like an intimate awkward. Mm-hmm. And then you have the funny awkward with um, Mr. St. Joseph and Mary. But then you have the wrong awkward with Mr. St. Joseph's wife raping him. Mm-hmm. It's just like, if he's writing sex, it's just some level of awkward. awkward. There was the good awkward with Gina and Matthew when they when they were just yeah that was a cute it was like okay we're teenagers we don't know what to do maybe that's his brand that's his brand you know what maybe it's not something i dislike it's just something i've noticed all of his sexes maybe you just need to categorize which kind of awkward it is and then accept it in the moment (laughs) yeah okay any final thoughts no final thoughts i'm just really grateful for 
a writer like Kai Miller and every other writer like Kai Miller because I really enjoy reading Caribbean novels that feel like a story being told to me because I think that's just really quintessential Caribbean way of expressing everything for us is a story everything for us is a huge event and I really appreciated that and I also just love that I love writers like Kai Miller who ask a lot of questions but don't provide an answer or they aren't trying to provide an answer but what they are doing is asking us to think a little bit more about these things I echo Christina's sentiments I think it was a really great book in terms of the richness of it the, it's just vivid you can you laugh in it you can shed a tear in it you it's thought provoking it's a book that you can recommend to a lot of different people and it would be something that they would come back to you and say hey i really enjoyed it so if you've never read it i think you should check it out and uh, tell us what you think tweet us and tell us what you think about it so thanks for listening and you can as Ashley said tweet us send us an Instagram message but also if you really 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 want to help us out leave us a review and yeah. share share the podcast with a friend tell us how great we are as we all know we listen to other people when they recommend a podcast to us so send it to somebody send this episode or another episode to somebody that you think would like this if you enjoyed August Tone if you enjoyed us listening to us chat about everything around the book, let us know and share it with a friend. So, what do we normally say for ending? I think that's it. No. No. Become a sustaining member. So that Nobody knows that. that. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. No, because you reach 20 out of 30 now. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Just become a sustaining member. There are lots of things that Rebel Women is doing. And also things that will be done with other podcasts that will happen soon. I'm shouting because I'm making a point. So become a sustaining member so we can do other creative awesome things as well. Uh, See you at Book Club. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.